be seated. Good morning. So, in two weekends, uh, July 9th, uh, Saturday, uh, myself, my wife Allison, and uh, Rose, who's coming as a leader this year, we're taking uh, three students up to the Patterson area uh, for our I guess, annual at this point, missions trip. Um, so we were up here a couple weeks ago talking about this, so this might be like deja vu for you. Uh, but what we are doing is, uh, for those 10 days, from the 9th to the 17th, uh, we will be partnering with Child Evangelism Fellowship and going to day camps in the city of Patterson. Um, and we will be doing Bible clubs, sharing the gospel through song, memory verse, Bible lessons, conversations uh, with boys and girls from all over Patterson. And we are filled with excitement uh, at this opportunity. Uh, So what we'll be doing is Monday through Friday, we'll be doing a club in the morning and then a club in the afternoon. And in the in-between times when there isn't clubs, we'll be partnering with a pregnancy center up there, Lighthouse Pregnancy Center, and the Salvation Army. And we are excited for this opportunity. So what we usually do before the trip is uh, we have the elders come up and pray for the team because prayer is the most important work. And we decided to do it this week instead of next weekend is because next weekend is July 4th and we wanted as many people uh, to be here as possible. So if you see us next weekend, it's because the trip isn't for two more weekends. Uh, so don't, don't be confused. Uh, but if team, if you want to come up, So we have my wife Allison and Rose coming as leaders. And then we have Marissa, Katie, and Lucy coming as students. So Andrew and any of the elders who are here, if you want to come up. If you want to come, Bill, if you want to come on up. We won't be too heavy-handed on you guys. Let's just pray for these guys. Father, I just thank you for this team as they are getting ready to head out. And Father, as they're going to get stretched, they're going to be in a different environment, working in the heat of the day and having the fun with working with kids, but also at times the frustration of working with kids. And then, Father, also being exposed to, Father, just a a different way of life, a different world, a, a different set of experiences and different people with different life challenges and different life questions. Father, I would ask that you would just be at work in them and through them. Father, that as they have conversations and as people ask them questions, Lord, I would ask that you would just work in their lives and give them wisdom and discernment. And Father, answers that come from you ready to help answer some of the life challenges that they might be asked questions about. But then, Father, also in this process, as they get stretched, as they might get frustrated, as things happen that irritate and annoy, Father, as questions surface in their own hearts and their own minds, Lord, I would ask that you would use those things to stretch them and to build into them and help them to also find answers and understanding as to what it means to walk with you and what it means to live a transformed life and what it means to experience your presence in, your, in their lives every day in a new and a fresh way. Lord, go before them and watch over them, bless them, and use them mightily. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
Now, even though we just prayed, we're going to pray again as we go to God's Word. And as I pray, I would encourage you to be praying. Because what we want to see God do in our hearts is impossible unless the Holy Spirit works. So as I pray, you quietly in your hearts, pray to God for your heart, for the hearts of the people in this room, for me. Let us go to God now. God, I thank you for this church. And I thank you for what you did on the cross to make us a church. Lord, right now I think of the pastors around the world who are preaching your word at the risk of their own life. Lord, I pray, give them courage, use them. I pray you will protect them. Lord, work in my heart so I will be like that. Lord, I pray you will work in the hearts of everyone here, those watching us online. Lord, I desperately want you to work. Humble us, God, and help us to hope in you. Help us to delight in you and what you have done. And God, everything I ask is impossible apart from you working. God, I pray that everything that comes out of my my mouth will be truth. Lord, I, I pray you will speak to hearts, humble hearts. Do what only you can do. Thank you that you use broken people like me. Thank you that you speak to broken people like us. I thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. One of my favorite songs is uh, The Lost Highway by Hank Williams. I love the song. And there's one, the whole song I find very haunting, and there's one specific line in there that, that haunts me. In it, Hank Williams sings, I'm a rolling stone, all alone and lost. For a life of sin I have paid the cost. And now I'm lost, too late to pray. Lord, I take a cost on the lost highway. And this morning where we are at in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verses 1 to 12, it causes most of its readers to fear and question, am I lost? Is it too late to pray? And that is where we will be this morning. A very serious and humbling passage. 
So it is Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 to 12. If you have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to pull it out and read it. It is always helpful to have it in front of you. This is chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And we will do this if God permits. For it is impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away. This is because to their own harm, they are re-crucifying the Son of God and holding Him up to contempt. For the ground that drinks the rain that often falls on it, and that produces vegetation useful to those for whom it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But, if it produces thorns and thistles, it is worthless and about to be cursed, and at the end will be burned. Even though we are speaking this way, dearly loved friends, in your case, we are confident of things that are better and that pertain to salvation. For God is not unjust, He will not forget your work and the love you demonstrated for his name by serving the saints and by continuing to serve them. Now we desire each of you to demonstrate the same diligence for the full assurance of your hope until the end so that you won't become lazy but will be imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith and perseverance. This is the word of God. This passage is kind of split into two parts. The first part, the first eight verses, kind of cut through the fakeness of our hearts and brings us on our knees before our majestic God. And then verses 9 to 12 kind of lift our eyes to that same king. It fills us with joy because we know he is our savior. So the first part humbles. And the second part gives hope, real hope. So look there in verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So these elementary teachings of Christ are the life and death of Jesus our Savior. It's the gospel, the good news. So he's saying, leave those things. And he says, don't lay a foundation of repentance and faith and ritual washings laying on of hands. He's telling us, these things, leave. Don't, don't, lay, again, don't lay again the foundation of these things. The things he lists, the gospel, 
turning from good things that don't please God, believing in Jesus, ritual washings, which is baptism, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, all those things. Those are the foundations of the Christian faith. The core of Christianity, specifically the gospel. So the question is, him saying, leave these things, is he saying we abandon these core beliefs of Christianity and go on to something better? No. Friend, I want you to see this. There is nothing better. What is better than the good news that God has sent his son to live among us so that he might die so that we might live among God? There is nothing better. So the writer here is not saying, leave those things, let's go on to something better. There is nothing better than the good news of salvation by faith. But we must build on the elementary teachings and the foundation. Think of it like this. Imagine you're building a house, something which I admit I know nothing about. But imagine you're building a house, you lay the foundation, and then you build on top of the foundation. You don't finish the foundation and then just kind of walk away and leave it that way. Or you don't just keep laying a foundation over and over and over and over and over again. The point of laying a foundation is to build on top of it. Or think of it like this. You don't throw away all the things you learned in elementary school. You don't go on to middle school and say... Don't need those things. You build on what you learned. And that is what the writer here is saying. Here is the foundation. The good, sweet truth of God's word. Now build on top of these things. Go deeper into what God has said. So he says, leave these teachings. Don't lay a second foundation But he does say go on to maturity. Maturity is becoming who God wants you to be. Like Jesus. And my soul is comforted by the writer saying go on to maturity. Because there are times where I feel stuck in my relationship with Jesus. Do you ever feel that way? Where you are burdened by your sin? Or maybe you try to read God's word and it just feels stale, like you don't even want to do it? What he's saying here is that your relationship with Jesus does not have to be the way it is tomorrow, five years from now, 20 years from now. You could go on to maturity and become like Jesus. You don't have to be stuck Or maybe you're on the opposite side. Or you could say with David, God's faithful love is better than life itself. There's no asterisk here that says, go on to maturity until you reach this certain point. If you have this great joy in your relationship with God, this is saying, hey, it doesn't have to stop. Your enjoyment of God can keep maturing and growing. This is Exciting. Go on to maturity. And verse 14 in chapter 5 actually shows us what maturity looks like. 
solid food, that's the deep things of God's word, is for the mature. For those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. So what is a mature Christian? It's someone who knows this. And knows what God says is good and what God says is evil. And they persevere in doing good. It means loving those who hate you. Being constant and alert in prayer. Confessing sins to one another. Boldly sharing the good news. Loving God more than life itself. Maturity is becoming like Jesus. Doing the hard things that you know you have to do. Does your soul, Christian, crave these things? Do you crave to go on to maturity? I want it for myself and I want it for you. As we think about maturity, it isn't easy. Think about the Christians who this writer is writing to. Do you know what mature Christians faced in this context? Imprisonment and persecution. Maturity is no easy thing. When you think about it, suffering and sacrifice are often the price to pay for maturity. Even to the point of death. Which is why there are many pastors doing what I'm doing now around the world. They're going to die because they are mature, persevering in what they know is good. Suffering and sacrifice are often the price to pay for going on to maturity. But suffering and sacrifice are also used by God to bring you further down the road to maturity. So if your greatest treasure is Christ, you will tearfully embrace suffering and sacrifice because they give you a greater enjoyment of God himself. And there is nothing better. How do we go on to maturity? He gives us the idea of how to do this in verses 1 through 3. Because he says, let's leave the foundation. Don't keep building the foundation. Build on it. Go deeper in God's word. And what he says is good and evil. Go deeper And then you will go on to maturity. You must have your nose in this book. Digging deep into what God says. If you are to mature and keep going in this broken, hurting world, you've got to dig into this. You have to dig into this. Because when you get that diagnosis, when the doubts come quickly and fiercely, because when the fear of death creeps in, because when God seems silent, you need to know this in order to keep going. We need the gospel and all those foundations that he listed there. 
But we have to go deeper into what God says if we want to persevere. I love what James chapter 1 says about this. In verse 21, he says, Humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Remember, he's talking to believers here. So he's saying to believers, receive, welcome this, because this is what saves your soul. In verse 25, he says, the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. How do we go on to maturity? We take this, And we look into this intently because this is what will save you. Through the working of the Holy Spirit, you welcome this over and over again. I think about how a couple of weeks I was feeling overwhelmingly discouraged. And I woke up on Monday morning and I opened this. And I came to God with my my burdens my discouragement, my doubts, my frustrations, and I brought it to God. I poured out to the great high priest. And it was such a sweet time. This is what it looks like to go deep in God's word. Not a cold, analytical reading like this is just any other book. Like you getting on your knees Looking at this, asking God, God, help me. It is going to God with what is weighing on you and digging into this. It is asking God, God, help me to care about what I'm reading. I can't even count the many times I've gone to God's Word and I just, my heart doesn't care about what I read. My love is often cold for the Lord. But we have to persevere in this. Go deep. This is what it looks like to go on to maturity. And here's the good news. God is patient. God is patient with you. Not everyone is going to be able to do this the same way. Some people can process information and love digging into this more than others. Other people just have the greater capacity to. There's people a million times smarter than me. In fact, I ask for their help through reading when going to the sermon because their brains are huge. People can do this differently. How they dig into God's word is different. But we must be doing this. And God is patient. And the good news is that what God started in salvation, He will finish. He is patient. And if you look there in verse 3, in Hebrews chapter 6, He says, we will do this if God permits. God is the initiator of salvation and going on to maturity. It doesn't happen unless God makes it happen. So do you know what this means you must do? Go to God and ask Him to make it happen. Go before God and ask Him, God, make this happen in me. Make this happen in my spouse. God, make this happen in my children. God, make this happen in my church. I go to God and ask Him. 
If you are here and you claim to be a believer, take this seriously. Because the alternative to maturing is drifting and maybe even falling away. And that takes us to verses 4 through 6. It is impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's word and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away. This is because to their own harm they are re-crucifying the Son of God and holding Him up to contempt. Three questions as we come to these very difficult verses. Who is this talking about? Why can't they be renewed? And what does this mean for us? Who is this talking about? It's not an easy answer. But as we read this and the rest of Scripture, I and many other people a lot smarter than me would argue and are confident that this is talking about unbelievers. When you look at verses like John chapter 6, verse 37 to 39, this is Jesus. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. Thank God. Verse 39. This is the will of God who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. So again, God is the initiator of the salvation process, and he's the finisher of the salvation process. Jesus loses none of those who come to him. So I say this is unbelievers, but I know this has very strong language, and it seems like he's talking about believers. They're enlightened. They've tasted the heavenly gift. They've shared in the Holy Spirit. They've tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age. But they have fallen away and they can't be brought back to Jesus. So I am arguing, confident, and many others that this is talking about unbelievers. What this is showing us is that there can be people who say they are Christian. They say they have a faith in Jesus. They're enlightened. They have a full understanding of what God says. They've tasted the heavenly gift. They've tasted the goodness of God. They've experienced blessing of the Holy Spirit. They've tasted God's good word. They've seen the working of the Holy Spirit and have experienced it. And yet, they're unbelievers. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 7. A passage that terrifies me. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And that will, by the way, is believing in Jesus and persevering. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. 
it is possible to experience the blessing of God. To be in a local church. To obey what the Bible says. To understand what the Bible says. To understand the foundations of the faith. And not be saved. These people are apostates. People whose outward rejection of Christ confirmed their inward rejection of Christ. That was there the whole time. That's who this is talking about. Now you might be asking, then how can I be saved? I love the criminal on the cross. Because I think it so simply and beautifully shows us how can we be saved? How can we make sure this doesn't happen to me? The criminal hanging on the cross by Jesus believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God who came to take on our rebellion so that we could be saved. This criminal believed that and he said, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Salvation is by faith in Jesus alone. I love Alistair Begg. He preached on this. I thought it was fantastic. He talked about what would have happened when this criminal on the cross would have gotten to heaven. They would have explained like, hey, do you understand this and understand this and understand this? And he would have been like, no. And they said, how'd you get here? Because the man on the middle cross said I could come. That is salvation. It is trust in Jesus Christ as your only hope. That is how you are saved. Being horrified by your sin and seeing that your only hope is Jesus Christ who died on the cross and took your punishment, died the death you deserve so that you can be with God forever. That is how you are saved. And there are many people who know these things but aren't horrified by their sin and have very little care for God. Yet they're in the church. They understand these things. And they obey God. They obey the words over and over and over again. How are we saved? Because the man on the middle cross said we could come by faith. Think of this like a wedding. These people he's talking about are like the caterers at a wedding. They're at the wedding. They're experiencing what's going on, but they're not in the wedding. This is these who are impossible to be brought back to Jesus. So that's the first question. Second question, why can't they be renewed? It seems like here in other parts of the scripture, there does seem to be a point where someone is impossible to bring back to Jesus. A point where God gives them over to their sin and their rejection. And to be clear, this being impossible to bring back to Jesus is not God being cruel or unjust. He's giving the person what their heart desires. No Christ at all. Now, there is some very difficult language in here. This idea of re-crucifying Christ. What does that even mean? Holding him up to contempt? 
to be clear, Jesus isn't in heaven dying over and over and over and over again. 1 Peter 3.18 says he died once and for all sin. What this is saying is these people cut themselves off from the only sacrifice for sins and the only hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ. These people are crucifying the Son of God all over again. And by this, they're rejecting him as deliberately as his executioners did and subjecting him to public disgrace, openly putting themselves in the position of Jesus' enemies. Nothing is impossible for God, but he offers us no hope of reclaiming those who take a continuous and hard-hearted stand against Christ. And that's from the New Bible Commentary, one of the much smarter people I go to to help me in this. So, so Jesus isn't literally physically dying over and over and over again because people are rejecting Christ. What these people are doing is they're siding with the executioners who put Jesus on the cross. They're rejecting him as their only hope and only sacrifice for sins. They're holding him up to contempt. They are hating God publicly like the people did when Jesus was on the cross. What does this mean for us, friends? This is a danger relevant to us all. Because if we were left to ourselves for a moment, we would fall away and reject Christ. I am confident of that. This is why in Philippians 2.12, Paul says this, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence but even more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's not saying, do good works to be saved. He's saying, you've been saved, so obey. Live it out with fear and trembling. Why fear and trembling? Because our hearts wander from God every single day. Because if we were left on our own, we would walk far from Jesus. Now, I want to make it clear. Us being saved, staying saved, is not based on our good works. It's not. It is only by what God does. He's the one who keeps us and holds us. But, persevering, continuing, that is a sign that you have been saved. That you have trusted in the man on the middle cross who died and was resurrected to save you. This should cut straight to our hearts. Bring us to our knees in full heartfelt dependence on Jesus. He is our only hope. You can't hope in coming to church on Sundays, on being baptized. You can't hope in the good things you do. It's only in the man on the middle cross. Cling tight to the one who is able to save completely. Now I want to say this. Only God knows when a person is too far gone. We don't know that. Don't give up on yourself. If, if you've believed in Jesus and you're struggling to obey, don't give up on yourself. In fact, you wanting to obey God and you being fearful of this passage is a sign that God has saved you. These people don't care about that. 
But if there is no desire in your heart to persevere, to obey, to love God, that should scare us. But it's not too late. You can go to God on your knees and ask Him, God, help me to care. Don't give up on yourself. God is good and mighty to save. But at the same time, don't give up on the person that you're praying for. I can't tell you how many people I'm praying for because they have rejected Christ. They want nothing to do with Him and what He says in His Word. Don't give up on them because God is the only one who knows when they are completely rejected Him. You have those children, those grandchildren, those siblings, those parents, those friends, those co-workers that reject Christ. Don't give up on them. Share the good news and keep praying for them. It's not too late. Don't give up. Because God could work so that while they're on their deathbed, like the criminal on the cross, God could show them who He is and how they can be saved. Don't give up. In verses 7 to 8, He gives this illustration of everything He just says. For the ground that drinks the rain that often falls on it and that produces vegetation useful to those for whom it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it produces thorns and thistles, it is worthless and about to be cursed and at the end will be burned. So he gives us illustrations. Good ground, bad ground. I want to look at the bad ground first. This ground produces thorns and thistles. It proves itself to be useless, leading to its cursing and burning. And this illustration calls back to similar illustrations from Jesus, where he talked about people who seem to be converted. They seem to be good ground, but in the end they prove themselves not to be. Or how Jesus talked about how there's going to be false believers. In that they say they're Christians and they're not. He talked about how there's going to be false Christians mixed in with the church until Jesus returns to separate who knows him and who doesn't. This bad ground here are unbelievers. Their life gives no fruit, no fruit of the Spirit, no desire for God, no enjoyment of God, no desire to obey. And what they do is... They prove themselves to be useless or prove themselves not to be saved and it leads to their cursing and burning. Which, by the way, is what we all deserve. But by God's grace, the man on the middle cross took our sin so that we could be saved. So, the bad ground is unbelievers, those who reject Christ. We have the good ground in verse 7. This ground produces useful vegetation. It points, this points to those believers who mature and persevere in their faith. But it's interesting that it says in verse 7, it produces vegetation, it's fruitful, it's useful to those who it's cultivated for. You are saved for a purpose, to be useful for God's kingdom. And we actually see that in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. No, it's not chapter 2, verse 9. I'm going to try chapter 1. There we go. Chapter 2, verse 9 of 1 Peter. 
You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What I want to focus on is you have been saved. Why? So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his light. You have been saved for a purpose. To praise. To point out who God is. How glorious he is. You've been saved to know God, enjoy God, and make him known. And this is as things should be. This is what you were made to do. Us being made and saved to know God, enjoy him, and make him known is God graciously meeting our soul's deepest desire. So as we talk about this vegetation, this ground that is fruitful, it begs the question, are you useful vegetation? Are you knowing God, enjoying God, and making Him known? Think. Are you known more for taking a stand for what's right or sitting in front of the TV? Are you known more for praying with your spouse and family or your hot takes on pop culture and politics? Are you known more for peering intently into the law of freedom or scrolling endlessly until your mind and heart are numb? Are you known more for loving on those who frustrate you or gossiping about them? I look at that list and I go, God, help me. I sin. I fail at all of these things. I pray that I'm good ground and I pray that you are good ground. But listen, you hear this? Don't play with Jesus. Jesus does not play around. He's the mess around. Take these things seriously. And the good news is it's not too late. Ask God to help. By the way, your minds might be thinking of other people and you're thinking, I wish they were here to hear this. No, you need to be here to hear what God has to say. We all do. I do. Chapter 6 of Hebrews verses 1 through 8 are humbling and they are scary and they should be. One of the reasons for the warning passages is that God uses them to keep us because they humble us, cut through the fakeness, bring us to our knees, and they make us cling tighter to Jesus. And now we get to the hope. Verse 9, we see the hope. Confident of better things. Even though we are speaking this way, dearly loved friends, In your case, we are confident of things that are better and that pertain to salvation. The writer was confident of these people's salvation. And I love the dearly loved part because this isn't some stale letter. This is heartfelt. And there are many of you here or I would love to hold your hands, look into your eyes and say, I am confident of your salvation, friend. In the next verse, they explain why they're confident. For God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you demonstrated for his name by serving the saints and by continuing to serve them. Remember, continuing in trust and obedience, persevering, is a sign that a person is truly saved. It doesn't save you, but it's a sign that God has saved you. 
So it's good news that God won't forget even the smallest obedience. He won't forget your tears as you had to make sacrifices. He won't overlook the sleepless nights as you wrestled with not giving up on Jesus even though you felt like you had every reason to. He won't ignore the patience you showed when other believers wounded you deeply. He remembers your obedience. He delights in your obedience. He wants your obedience more than you want it. He won't forget. He will remember and reward. So keep going. Sometimes it feels like, what's the point in praying, in sharing the gospel? What's the point? God won't forget. By the way, it's interesting. What kind of obedience does the writer zone in on as an evidence for faith? The love you showed for God by loving Christians. That's interesting. That's what he chooses to zone in on. Loving God by loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you profess to be a Christian, get in the messiness of the local church. It will hurt. It will be exhausting. You will weep. But this is what it means to be a Christian. Loving God's people because you love Him more than anything. This, serving the saints, loving the saints, will be the hardest thing you do and the sweetest thing you do. By the way, we have an opportunity, if you are a member here, to do this in the business meeting. Being gracious and loving to each other as we discuss maybe some difficult things. Right away, we have an application. Be careful how you treat one another. Alright, we have verses 11 to 12. He says, Now we desire each of you to demonstrate the same diligence for the full assurance of your hope until the end. Full assurance. Our hope is in what the man on the middle cross did for us. But we can have assurance as we look at our lives and observe the continued, the continued obedience that the Holy Spirit is producing. Our hope is in Christ alone. But as we look at what God is doing in our hearts, even if it's small obedience, even if it's a small desire flamed in your heart by the Holy Spirit to love God and love His people and love those far from God, there is assurance there. And he says, we desire each of you to be diligent, be serious, be passionate about going on to maturity and continuing to obey. And he says, do this until the end. We're not saved by perseverance. Like, we're not saved by us doing it. It's God persevering and keeping His hold on us. But a Christian perseveres. Like a baker bakes, a teacher teaches, and a Christian keeps going until the end. By the way, there's highs and lows in the Christian life. This is not saying that the Christian isn't going to go through times where they back away from Jesus or they back away from the church where their heart feels nothing for God and His people, that they don't stumble into sin and, and through the Holy Spirit they, they find their way out. This isn't saying that. That does happen. And we'll get to that in a second. But a Christian who perseveres is someone who keeps getting back up. Even if it just feels like 
Everything's falling apart. The Christian keeps crawling through life like a soldier in a battlefield. That is what a Christian does. They keep going. They keep getting back up. They're not perfect. This is the God-designed tension of the Christian life. God keeps us. He saves us. He initiates and finishes salvation. Yet, we live out our salvation with fear and trembling, striving to obey. This is the tension. And by the way, I want to say this. This is going to feel impossible at times. In different ways. If you're single or even if you're married to a believer, it's going to feel impossible. But I want to say this. For anyone that is not married, don't marry an unbeliever. If you claim to be a Christian, don't. Because it is going to drag you down. It's already hard to be diligent when you're single or married to a strong believer. Don't mess with that. I have many friends who have and none of it has gone well. But I want to say to any of you here, maybe you're married to someone that isn't a believer or maybe you're married to someone here that is not diligent, is lazy in their faith. God is patient and God is gracious. He can grow you and work in your heart and don't give up on them. It's not too late for them. Keep obeying. Keep loving them. Keep sharing the gospel. Keep praying. This is hard, but God is gracious and He is good. And right here, by the way, it says until the end, which means there's no coasting. For you, Older saints, I am thankful for you. Don't just relax until the end. In reality, you are more valuable now than me. Because there are people here who are hurting and struggling, who have, are going through horrible things. You've lived through those things. You've seen God be good and gracious even in the worst kind of suffering. You can help them persevere more than I can at this point. Like for those of you who are older, I thank God for you. Don't coast. Don't just sit back and relax. You are valuable. In fact, many of you hearing your stories of perseverance through difficult times, that, that helps me persevere. For those of you who are older, get even more connected into the church. Take younger people out to lunch. Have them over to your house. Share your story. You see something online that they're struggling with? Reach out to them. We need help to persevere and God has provided you until the end. Let us not be lazy, but be diligent. And then the last thing. Verse 12. So that you won't become lazy. Be diligent so you won't become lazy. But will be imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith and perseverance. The writer warns against laziness. Here's the thing. Not everyone is, is, says, I want nothing to do with Jesus. Forget him. There's some people that are just lazy and drifting and care nothing for God. I have to fight this drift in my heart And I know there's people in here that is true about you. Hear these warnings and fear God. Love God. You are missing out on what you were made to do. You are saved 
to praise and make everything about God. Keep going. The alternative to laziness and falling away is imitating those who inherit. Who get the promises of God because they believed in Jesus and persevered. And by the way, do you notice that faith comes before perseverance? Because you believe in Jesus and then God makes the perseverance happen. Who are those who inherit the promise? In chapter 11, the writer gives us examples. The heroes of the faith. And this is what I'm encouraged by. Noah, Abraham, David, Samson, and many other heroes of the faith. These men were faithful. They persevered. They did big things for God. But they were horribly sinful. They had the highs and lows of the Christian life. They backed away from God and yet they're in this list. Which means God does not expect you to be perfect. But what he wants is you to keep going. Don't be lazy. Keep going. If you hear this and you fear laziness and falling away, imitate those who inherit the promises. Keep going. Don't give up. Ask God for help. Get your nose in this book and bring everything that's weighing on you. Even if what's weighing on you is that you don't care about God right now. Bring that to God. That is how you persevere. Just keep going, friends. Don't give up. Things might get tougher. Things probably will get tougher. Keep going. Don't give up. If you are here and you have never believed in Jesus, it is not too late. Right now, you can trust in Jesus as your only hope from salvation because he died on the cross and rose again. It's not too late. If you want to talk to someone about it, write it on the Connect card. Come see me. Come see Andrew. Come see one of the elders that were up here praying. I take this seriously. And for those of you who have believed in Jesus, this is what I would encourage you to do today. This passage is hard and it's scary. It was designed that way. It's good for God to cut through the fakeness. But this is what I would encourage you to do. Before your head hits the pillow tonight, grab God's word. Turn to Psalm 27. Read it. Cry out to God. And I would encourage you to sing the song, Come to Jesus, Rest in Him. You can Google it. It's there. I would encourage you to do that. Because this is kind of like, it's kind of wounding us in a good way. Cutting through the fakeness. And if you're here and you believe in Jesus, Psalm 27, and that song, Come to Jesus, Rest in Him, it's like a balm for the wound. Do that. If the Lord has has blessed you in this way, grab your children. Grab your spouse. Grab a friend. Do this before the day ends. How do you keep from falling away? Imitate those who inherit the promise. Keep going. Don't give up. Let us pray.
God, I needed to hear everything I just said. Because God, I can be lazy. God, I go through highs and lows. God, I'm scared of my own heart sometimes and how I, it seems like I don't even care about you sometimes. I pray you will work in my heart. Lord, I pray you'll be working in the hearts of everyone here. I pray that those who do believe in you here, they will not despair, but they will cling even tighter. And Lord, I pray for those that don't know you here. I pray, God, pierce their heart, convict them of their sin, and show them the man on the middle cross said they could come if they believe in you. Do that, God, please. Jesus, I pray these things in your name. Amen.